it's really not so much of what I tell them. It's really what they tell me. Being with death is really showing up and being a companion to wherever they're at. And I don't think it's me being a teacher. It's more vice versa. Marifel, it's nice to have you on here. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. So for those that are listening, she brought in a nice Bob Dylan quote to get the tone going, talking about death. So we're off to a good start. Uh, so like I said, just introduce yourself. I know I just said your name a couple different ways, but uh, tell us what you do and, and why you're here. My name is Marifel. I have been exploring the depths of death over the past few years, and I have been offering myself in service to supporting those at the end of life and have also been creating different outlets creatively to promote that conversation around death. I don't necessarily like to call myself a death doula, but I can be. Why don't you like calling yourself that? Uh, I'm not really sure, but I think some people have a certain idea of what a death doula is. And I think what I do is a lot more broader than a death doula. So I like to guess I say as an advocate for death, and I do offer myself in the capacity of a death doula role, but more so that uh, I'd like to say I'm more of a conversation starter. I'm a space holder for death. I'm very comfortable with it. And I like to create spaces where people can come to that space and have an open conversation, allow themselves to be honestly and truly as they feel they need to be. So for those that don't know what a death doula is, how would you explain a death doula to start? I guess the most common description that people kind of convey what a death doula is in very few words, they would say, do you know what a birth doula is? They're like, yeah, the same thing as that, but for death. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is someone who accompanies someone on a personal level who is not a medical trained professional but is somebody there to personally assist on the emotional and spiritual and comforting level as they transition uh, towards the end of life. And when you say you're similar to a death doula, but you don't like to pigeonhole yourself into that term because you're more broad, is there anything specific that you say you do differently or that you consider yourself more broad as to and why? I guess when I think about when people say, do you, are you a death doula? That it's just more so that companionship part. And I guess the ways that I think about death is more so infused in how we live. So I like infusing death and the living aspect. Right. And I think most death doulas do that anyways. But I guess that's why I don't like associating with just that title that it's just that person at the bedside or just that person who is ushering the other. But what I like about infusing death into regular life is that I guess I like bringing it to the everyday table. Well, I think I, from my understanding of how you're infusing it with life or, I mean, deal with me if I'm completely misinterpreting this, but I, I like, I'd like to think this podcast and my interpretation of it is I like to infuse death with life, not in a sense that we should just, you know, be considering death all the time and constantly thinking about it, but we should, you know, have some sort of uh, bandwidth in our heads about death just because it helps us accept it. And therefore, I think the more comfortable you are with death is where your life can kind of, you know, start in a way where 
it's just a level of acceptance. I mean, at the end of the day, it is in the back of all our minds. So it's, we're all going the same way. So the sooner you can kind of embrace it and infuse it with your life and not run away from it, you know, when the day comes when you do deal with death on your, on your own or with someone in your life, which is inevitable, you know, maybe you're a little more equipped because, like I said, it's inevitable. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what you mean by infusing it with life. Yeah, I guess it's just I'm an advocate for death contemplation. Mm. I guess that's a, a better way of encapsulating all the things that I do, whether it's being at the bedside as a hospice volunteer or ushering somebody who is faced with an illness and they're confronted with death a lot more immediately. How do you contemplate death personally? What's your contemplation? I do it through breath work. So I also do breath, and that is my Instagram handle is breath to death. And hopefully not literally. (laughs) But that is a symbol of life, you know, from the moment you take your first breath to the last breath, that's life. And so breath to death is bringing that life to the death and that death to the life. And I think we've spoken this before when we first started chatting is that we both love talking about death because it really enriches your life so much more when you know that it's going to come to an end one day. Right. And especially confronting death, it, it's a, it's an obstacle when, when you deal with death. You know, it's trauma. It's, it's going through a tough time. And at the end of the day, you know, life is suffering in a way. And if people look at suffering negatively, you know, justifiably, obviously it's hard. But I don't know, we, we try to avoid suffering at all costs, which I understand that's the survival instinct and who the hell wants to suffer. Not that I'm trying to put myself in a position to suffer, but so much comes from suffering. And I think there's um, a positive way to look at suffering, even if it's as simple as going to the gym, like you're putting yourself through some sort of suffering for the better cause. And I'm not saying go look for death in this weird um, comparison, but that there's, there's a lot in that suffering. And I think that's an important thing to consider. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of people who talk about that it's easier to die than it is to live. Yeah, I could see that, depending on what the hell happens, but yeah. And I think that is very telling about how we're living our life. Um, But again, to bring it back to that death acceptance, if you know that it's going to all end one day, there is some sort of peace in that, that this suffering is going to end. There is a piece to that. Absolutely. It's also terrifying because like what if, <laughs> what if there's more suffering next? <laughs> but that's on. a big unknown, which obviously comes with a lot of the fear of death. And I think that's a lot of the reasons why most people don't like talking about it because it's so unknown. Yes. But I think that suffering and that kind of like rigorous rounds and of emotion that we all go through when we think about deaths or endings or any of that kind of tough life that we go through, it's in that space where you can kind of find the gems of what life really means by going through that roughness of life. Right. That's like going through the hardships of working out so hard to earn the strength in the end. It's what builds your muscle. It's what gives you the endurance that you keep building on throughout life or through that workout that you just become stronger in the end, that you feel a lot more equipped, that you feel strengthened in your core. And I think that same sort of way when you go through the hardships of all the deaths within life, that's what like hooks you up to be stronger in your core. You know, I, I don't want anyone to go through suffering, but part of me does just because it's it's important like we're discussing. But let me ask you, do you have any go-to statements or go-to concoctions of clients or people that you work with that are 
in the transitionary period of dying or I don't know what your normal clients are. I guess maybe start there with your normal normal clientele if you have any normal clientele or mm-hmm. consistencies of experience. But what do you tell people that are passing or at the end of their life? It's really not so much of what I tell them. It's really what they tell me. Being with death is really showing up and being a companion to wherever they're at. And I don't think it's me being a teacher. It's more vice versa. Oh, interesting. So, so is, that, is that part of what you're saying about holding space? You're just kind of... You're, right. You're there. Yeah. You're there and you're not afraid of it. You're not reacting to what they're saying because a lot of people feel bad that they don't want to bring anybody down when they talk about how hard things are. They don't want to be a burden. That's what a lot of people at the end of life feel is that they just don't want to be a burden on anyone. Even if they're not actively dying, um, just even in the face of illness. There's a lot of people who don't want to burden others, and that is a big part of aging, going through tough life, and needing help, but also seeing that it's hard, not just for them, but for everyone around them. And so giving them that space just to be honest with exactly how they feel just kind of takes the weight off. So is that why they bring a third party in like you, in your opinion, is because they don't like, for instance, um, like, why would someone, you know, bring in a, I know you didn't give me a title, but you. You could say death doula, okay, yeah. death doula. Yeah. <laughs> why would someone, bring, in your opinion, bring some, a death doula in as opposed to just a friend or a family member? Is it partially because of what you just told me that people don't want to be a burden on potentially the people that they're close with? Obviously, some people might not have anyone, mm-hmm. so I think it's a, a multi. It could be, but I also want to say that a death doula isn't somebody who just studies it and is down for it. It could also be a a friend, or a relative. It's not necessarily a profession. It, it could be anyone in your community, somebody who is showing up and allowing all that needs to be in all that's dying and all that's happening and all the feelings that are happening. It is helpful, I think, in my opinion, to have somebody else out there just to kind of be a support and allow everyone to feel what they're feeling. It is helpful to have somebody that's outside of the family, outside of the friends, that they're not tied to anybody's story. They're not tied to anybody's side. I think that's really important. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, besides death, just in general, when you're going through something, it's when sometimes when you're too close, you know, there's a little bit of a biased opinion, whether you feel like, sure. whether you know or not, even if it's unintentional, unconditionally, mm-hmm. you know, you do have a, if you're too close, it's really good to have an outside opinion. So I kind of like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And in studying a lot about this death and dying and, and grief, it is so important to have grief to be witnessed. There is such power to that. There's so much power in not feeling alone. That's a big thing that a lot of people experience as they age, as they're ultimately having these thoughts that, yeah, I am going to die one day. Did I live my life the way I wanted to? Or if they are in a more immediate context of having illness, knowing that there's an end date super soon, it is very lonesome. Even if you have all these people around you, I don't know what that feels like, but, you know, they feel very alone because everyone else is not in the face of dying and, and they are. Yeah, I mean, you you are. You go out by yourself, regardless of the people that are around you. You're kind of taking this journey on yourself. And that's mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. Uh, even when I have a podcast talking about death, I still get a little uh, weirded out by it. But what the hell am I going to do? I'm just going to keep talking to people. What what experience have you had regarding death personally? 
I'm sure that you have to have, you've had a close experience that have probably led you on this path, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So prior to me going on this deep dive into death and dying, I was working as a respiratory therapist in a hospital in Canada where I used to live. I'm Canadian. What part of Canada? Uh, just outside Toronto. Oh, nice. I've been to mm-hmm. Toronto a couple of times. Yeah, yeah it's freezing. <laughs> it's cold. That's about what I got there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, working at the hospital was what really illuminated a lot of this curiosity around death. Uh, as a respiratory therapist, you're present at all code blues, which is when somebody has a cardiac arrest, they their their heart stops or their breathing stops. Was this during COVID at all? No, this is prior to COVID. Got it. Thankfully. Yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just missed that one. I know. I I dodged a big bullet there. Um, Sorry, hold on. I was just curious no, it's, for a timeline. No, it's true. I, I, I think about that a lot. But I left that profession just before COVID hit. And yeah, in reflection to my career as a respiratory therapist, I was in the face of death a lot. And sometimes we'd be trying to bring them back to life, sometimes over and over. And you question, like, why is this person still alive? It seems like they want to die. Seems like they want to die? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Sometimes you'll see patients and they look like they've given up on life. Mm. Everything else that sustains their life is dependent on the workers of the hospital. They may not have family. Their spirit looks quite depleted. And it's always made me wonder why somebody's life continues on and on and on and on. And they can have all the physical disabilities that could prevent them from living what we would most of us consider be living a good life. But yeah, I just always wonder. I was so curious about what makes somebody continue on in life or what makes a life go just like that. Uh, Watching babies die, watching kids die. So you're just quite, your question is the overall, again, specific on why is this person still surviving or is it just a a general, you know, philosophical question that you're referring to? Yeah, just a general philosophical question just in terms of yeah that you'll never yeah. know when who's going to keep them living and who's going to keep who's going to die at any time do you ever get a chance to talk to any of these patients or is it always like an in and out thing as a respiratory therapist you're there in and out right, you're just focusing on like giving them life there's patients who have tried to commit suicide that survived there are patients that tried to commit suicide and they've succeeded and how old are you when you started this profession when you were really around these people dying i was 28 27. Did any of these people die right in front of you? Or oh, yeah. Constantly? I'll, I mean, not con- not every day, right. but I mean, enough. Multiple times? Yeah, yeah. There's some days where like multiple people died and you're just like, damn, what a day. And you just got to kind of move on to the next job. Yeah. And your job continues and then you're just slapped in the face that, yeah, death can come anytime. And some of these people have been ill for a long time. Some of these people got into a car accident and they were young. Yeah, I've never, I've never witnessed someone dying in front of me except my hamster, which doesn't, mm. that was traumatic enough, but doesn't doesn't quite step up to what you're talking about. What does that do to you the first time, or just in general? Like, what what is that? How does that? Excuse my language, would fuck with your emotions. I don't know. If it just rocks you, and you don't even know what happens, it just rocks you, and then you just shake it off because you got to continue your job, um, and then show up, and then. I don't think it really hit me until I stopped working. And I think that's when I thought about my job so much is like, what was it about my job that really had an impact? And I thought about how I was always so curious about the death parts and how I witnessed so much of it and how I witnessed beautiful deaths that were very peaceful and that I witnessed really horrific deaths. 
even seeing a baby die. It, it, it just all of that. And just to see the whole wide spectrum of anyone and everyone dying. Did you ever, I mean, I know you were in and out, so perhaps not. Did you ever see any of the families, whether it was in passing or come to the bed or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Because the reason I'm asking that is because now you're you're so in touch and interested in being there for those people, right? The mm-hmm. families as well, not just the person right. who's dying. So I wonder if what was the, if, if you witnessed those aspects of reactions. I'm sure that you know every family might come in and react for differently. Sure. So I wonder if that affected. Absolutely. Yeah, there are patients who we've taken care of regularly and you actually develop relationships with the family because they're always there. Being in the ICU, also that you see them show up or actually not show up. That There's so many different spectrums of people who are critical and you know that death is so close to them. And also being the professional has to turn off the machine when they've said, okay, that's enough. And when there is family there, that's something else that kind of spoke to me is I wanted to stay. I wanted to witness it. And I think that's something that had always lingered with me that made me more curious about uh, going into death work is that I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what happens after that. I wanted to know how are they doing a few months later. It was just an interest? It's just an interest. It was a curiosity. Yeah, even having a close relationship with or feeling like you had a close relationship with the patients and then when they're not no longer there in the hospital, you just wonder how their family's doing because we were all touched by that person and now they're not there. So there was no connection to that to that surrounding family anymore. Yeah, that is it, the the pace at which you know people in your profession that constantly deal with death. It's just kind of like ripping a bandaid and onto the next one. And there's there's no, I want to say closure, but I guess you know when you get as close as you did, it's hard to have that closure, even though it's not you personally. But you're either way, you're right there face to face with it. Yeah. What What was your next? What was your transition from there to being involved with you know doing what you're doing now as a death doula ish? So when I moved to Los Angeles, that's when I was doing the career shift. And again, in that contemplation of what was it in my last job that I that really spoke to me and realizing it was death, then I started exploring what courses there were to know more. What courses do you take? Is it the death doula courses? So first I started with this program at the Open Center in New York, and it was a program called The Art of Dying. Oh, cool. It's a thanatology certificate course, and it was very broad in the context of exploring all aspects of death and dying from the medical side to cultural practices around the world to doing home funerals, all kinds of things. Okay, so it's a super broad. I'm I'm taking the art of dying literally. Is it more focused on the person passing or just the ways of dying? What does that mean exactly? It was pretty broad. They just talked about death in different contexts. So like, for example, one weekend would be how does somebody come to dying through the medical field or through the medical system? And kind of shedding light on how somebody could be slowly dying at the end of life as they age, as they have medical complications, and just to kind of give you that aspect of how somebody's been thinking about death for a long time, and then they show up at the hospital, and it becomes very critical, and that's that. Got it. So the first step is more um, an, like a, an umbrella around death, and then do you does it trans? Maybe you're getting there, but does it transition to how you're supposed to be? Again, with these people, or is that up for interpretation? It was, this one course was just kind of very broad. There was people from all over. So there was people who are psychologists that kind of wanted to understand a little bit more about death. There were midwives, birth midwives, 
who were wanting to flip to the other side of life. And there was journalists who were wanting to inquire about what death was like. So it was just a broad mix. Not everyone was trying to be a death doula out of this, but it, people who were just genuinely curious and wanting to know more about all different aspects around death and dying. Got it. I wonder if I should take a course like that. It was great. I yeah. loved it. I think after I started that course, I was like, yes, this is my jam. And uh, <laughs> Death is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no joke. I felt like that. Does it uh, desensitize you at all? No. 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 It made me feel that everything I've been feeling, there's a space for this. There's people in this community. They call it like the death community. I call it, you know, my death people. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds funny to ironic, say that. Yeah. But um, people who, who are similarly advocates for talking about this type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, here we are. Yeah, that's how I found you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's wild. But no, it, it, I mean, anyone that doesn't think about death kind of questions me. Not Like I said, not to get it to be on top of your mind all the time, but, you know, I guess it's, we're not going, we're not avoiding it. Yeah. So it's so interesting, interesting culturally too. I want to ask you, and part of that, any of the course courses or course that you took, did it speak about death culturally in regards to any differences at all or, or not really? Yeah, there was one weekend that was focused on uh, cultural practices of how pe- how certain cultures view death. Did you notice anything different, if you recollect? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, in the Western world, it's very taboo. There's a whole death industry that is catered to taking it away so you don't have to be burdened by it. Industry of taking it away? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I should be a little bit more specific. Uh, for example, the funeral industry. Mm-hmm. Funeral homes. They take the body away from you so you don't have to see it. You don't have to oh, right. You don't have to groom it. You don't have to touch it. You know, you're busy grieving. Don't look at this. This is too horrific. Let me doll your loved one up. Let me... Yeah, let me make, make it look it, prettier than yeah, they did in real life. exactly. Yeah. And then in other parts of the world... They're adoring it. They're touching it. They're bathing it. They're wrapping it. They're they're hand bearing it. There's ritual and there's community around it, and they're so tangible with it. And I think that's great. I I want this is where I like bringing this kind of information to the table. That there's other ways other than the funeral home to take care of the dying or the dead. You know that it's not the medical system that's gonna be your answer for everything when you're in the context of dying or aging, uh, that there's layers to, to supporting that space, that it's, it's a lot about community. It's a lot about building that relationship and being okay with it. So you can be tangible with it. There's like not a lot of space for these things to, to allow yourself to feel all the things. No one wants to feel bad. Nobody wants to feel sad. Nobody wants to feel angry, but that's all human. I think that's the best thing I love about death. It, it just gets the realness of, of being human. Like we've discussed, that makes it a part of life. And it, it, it seems like death is the end of life, which it is, but it's a part of life. And I wonder how that, tra- I wonder how culturally how that transition even happened, how we in America are so, I guess it relates to what you were saying, uh, Want to, don't want to feel it. We don't want to feel it. And then it reverts back to the idea of suffering, how we were explaining how I think suffering is a good thing, even though it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to push things to the side, then it's just going to keep things in. And I wonder the psychological effect of really being intimate with the one who passed in their body. Because I, I, A friend that I met from Puerto Rico, and he was saying something like that. I think it was Puerto Rico, 
that I just realized it's like Puerto Rico and then Puerto Rico, but both. <laughs> how they they did put the bike, if someone died from a motorcycle accident or something of the sort, they would actually, you know, show the body with the bike or something oh, of the sort. Okay, where yeah. it, was, it was super graphic, mm-hmm. but that was part of their healing process. And I wonder the psychological effect and of seeing it like that, you know, no matter how, even the yes, it's gruesome and I don't, I don't know how I feel about younger people seeing it, but whatever. Yeah. But I'm just saying that's one example of, you know, getting way more intimate with our mortality as opposed to us where it's hidden and you get, you know, an hour to see the body and then it's covered and this and that. For sure. I think they're both, you know, different schools of thought, obviously, but there's got to be a psychological difference in the grieving. And I, and I wonder what that is. Absolutely. Well, actually, to add to that course, um, it was through that course at the Open Center that I met Olivia Bearham. She was one of the teachers for the one of the weekend workshops. And that weekend was learning about home funerals. Who's this? Sorry for not knowing who she is. Oh, it's okay. Um, Olivia Bearham. Mm-hmm. She is the owner and teacher at Sacred Crossings. She's a funeral director um, and does funeral homes. She's an advocate. She's a teacher. Um, and so it was through, after meeting her and learning about um, this home funeral way of offering holding death, I learned that there was this death midwifery course, which is here in LA. And after I finished the program at the Open Center, I continued on to do her death midwifery program. And that was getting in deeper on a personal and a more um, intimate level with people who are dying. And what aspect exactly? So her program is broken up into three kind of components. The first part is called Enter the Grave, where you're kind of going on your own spiritual or personal evaluation of yourself and confronting your own thoughts about death as you as an individual. It sounds like this is where uh, ayahuasca comes in. Oh, you could do... I mean, I think this is where a lot of why people kind of do ayahuasca is because they want to going personally. Yeah, going they say that first deeply. the first phase is uh the, I think the first day what I heard recently is kind of it's like a death. Like that, mm. that oh, first ego day. death. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about eagle it. death? Ego death. Oh, ego death. Yeah, yeah ego that, death. That, that, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, that's what I heard. So it's kind of like literally a like death. Mm. Again, death of the ego, which is, you know, pretty close to dying, I would suppose. So so go on you're saying so that was the first day. So of, that was the first like um portion of her program. And then the second one is uh conscious dying. Um, kind of going into the physical things of how people are, how their body starts to age or break down closer to death, things that you'll see, um, things that one might experience closer to death and how to show up for that or um, just to be in awareness of. And then the last part is after body care. So that is... That's what we were just talking about? Mm-hmm. So how to, if you're leading a home funeral, um, how to encourage family members to be in touch with death, how to do a washing at home, um, how to create ritual in the home, how to bring in your own community to be in support of this person who was part of your life, but is now still in your home if they've died at home and how to uh, create that own space to have your own home funeral. Well, so you kind of you kind of cover across the board from in death. My thought when you, when you when you learn, obviously, it's important to know the different aspects of death, which makes sense. You know, I, I definitely thought there'd be a uh, a heavier system for okay, what do you do when you're there? 
Mm. You know what I mean? So I, that's why I'm curious about your practice. I know you answered the question earlier, more or less about just holding space and being there and let them speak. But I'm very curious about the operational aspect of it. Like, do you walk in there, just grab their hands, or do you say, hi, what can I do for you? Or oh, yeah. what, what, is the, what is your step yeah. walking into that room? I feel like it'd be awkward. Uh, for sure. I mean, I have only had like uh, a few people that I've worked with. Right, still, it's still more than me. Uh, yeah, well, but just, yeah, there's not a whole lot of, um, yeah, I can't say I have a lot, lot of experience. But a lot of times it's just saying, hi, I'm here, you know. I'm here either as a hospice volunteer or I'm here for you. Um, just checking in with how they're feeling that day. However they're feeling, you know, the other day is irrelevant now. And just meeting them exactly where they are that day, what's going on, checking in with family members. So, so it is really about asking, just checking in. Checking in. You know, in. I think that relates to a lot of people come up and say, I don't never know what to say to someone who just lost someone. Do I say sorry? Do I bring them food, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a right answer, but I do think there is a correlation to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I do think it's just holding space. And to me personally, it's also giving space if needed. But I I, I guess I'll, I even say sorry, even though I try not to say that because I didn't do it, first of all. Second, right. like, I don't, it's just kind of a an easy thing to say, I'm sorry that happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think it's more important to just like me personally, I'm a pat on the back kind of guy. Like I'm put my arm around you and let you know I'm there, whether verbally or not. Yeah. And I think that goes a long way, letting you know if you need this, if you need anything, you tell you tell me. You know right. what I mean? I don't want to cramp your style. I don't want to, you know, be all over you because maybe you don't want that. Because there's so many people that want the space, don't want to talk to anyone, and people all and out of the goodness of their heart, they want to be there for whatever they need, and they might be a little too overbearing. Mm -hmm. And uh I think it's important just to let you know they're there and let them come to you or let them speak. Right. And I feel like that's what you're saying and that's yeah. what you ultimately a do. A lot of it is just asking questions. How are you feeling today? And giving time for them to even feel for themselves how they're feeling because no one's asked them. They don't even know sometimes because they're just in their whatever space they're in. And then it's not until somebody asks them, how am I feeling? They're like, oh shit, how am I feeling? And you got to ask them almost twice and really look at them because the first time you ask them, like, oh, I'm good. I'm like, no, how are you? Exactly. You got to do one Genuinely, of those little one-twos. Yeah, asking, how are you? Yeah, that comes out. It's really the second how are you that really gets people going. Because the first <laughs> one is just, it's so ritualistic. I'm good. I'm good. Blah, 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 blah. Right. But the second one is like, no, man, how how the hell are you? Like, are you good? Yes. And that's when you kind of, you know, pull and out. And just genuinely, I was asking, what do you need? What can I do for you? Uh, and just giving examples. Can I do your groceries? Or... Do you want some space? Do you want to talk about it? Is it helpful if I hold your hand? And just giving that space and silence. Ooh, silence can speak so much. I love silence. Ooh. It goes both ways. Silence can be interpreted, you know, I guess it depends on the scenario. Even outside of death, silence, some people are so uncomfortable with silence, they just have to fill in the gap of bullshit. Yeah. And I'm fine just sitting there, even if it's in a car going somewhere for an hour and not saying one word. Mm -hmm. It's like my mother. I remember like when she picks me up from the airport occasionally when I fly back to Jersey, you know, we'll hug, kiss, you know, catch up real quick. And then sometimes we go, we haven't seen each other in a few months and we'll go into like a 20 minute zone where we're just driving. But holding that space together and sharing that presence together, I feel it, first of all. Mm. And, and that's good. Like that's we're going to keep talking more. We'll have a drink, whatever. I'll be plenty of talking. But that, Understanding that silence does speak volumes. It really does. Mm -hmm. and I think just sharing that space, as we keep saying, that's, that might be the name of this freaking podcast, really goes a long way. Just being there. Yeah. Physically being there and obviously letting them know that you're there 
intangibly if you need something. Mm-hmm. But just being there for someone, whether it's vocal or not, means so much. And I think I think people can feel that. Yeah. If you really feel comfortable in silence, I think they'll feel it. And like you said, it's going to go a long way. There are some people who are just straight up uncomfortable with it. And sometimes that is a route, you know, sometimes having small talk is the way to get to the space of how they're really doing because they're just used to that. So sometimes it's a mix of things. It's not, it's not always so direct. Sometimes it's bringing in something else to focus on. Like, do you want to watch a show? Do you want to listen to some music? Because I feel if you bring the attention to something else, they can just have the freedom to just relax for a second and not feel so paid attention to. Quick transition. Have you lost someone personally in your life or it's, it's mainly been through your job where you've seen most of your death? Is there anyone, I think we've all lost someone through someone, like uh, that person after that person, mm-hmm. but have you lost someone intimate to you? No, not, I haven't physically lost somebody. Is that, have you, I mean, that's a great, it's a great thing. Hey, so yeah, it, it's I, know, a, not, you know, I haven't lost uh, any family members. Part of me, the dark side, I'm like, you want someone to go? <laughs> no, I don't want anyone to go. But even in being in this space, I, I don't think, I don't know how I'm going to be when that happens, you know? I do think about it, but ultimately all I could do is what I could do now and, and just be present with them now. And I just have to remind myself that. 100%. You never, especially death, I mean, you can do all this preparing, this and that. But once it hits you, you don't, you don't know how you're going to, your body, like you've said, you have to feel how you feel. And when in the, in the moment of grieving, a lot of people don't let their emotions out. Mm-hmm. And it's all so confusing when those emotions come because you'll feel, you know, down the line of everything. Mm-hmm. You'll feel everything and it won't make sense. Like, why am I angry? This or that. Yeah. And you just don't know. You're, you're, everyone reacts differently. So even with all the, preparation and knowledge that you have, you know, if and when that day comes, it's just, you don't, you won't know. But I mean, I think you're definitely doing the prep work to at least acknowledge that, you know, that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So I think in that, that'll go a long way. I still think. Yeah. You, know, you still might be a mess, but I'm not trying to like forecast or prof- no, prophesize, you know, I the do future. Wanna, yeah. I but, do want to say that not all of it's going to, no, we all know it's not going to be pretty, you know, it hurts. It motherfucking hurts when you lose someone you Sex, love. Yeah. Um, and not to say you got to feel that all the time, but also don't don't hide that either. You know, if that's part of your process, let it bleed. What would you do hypothetically if you, if you were someone grieving right now? Is there any any steps you personally would take? Would it be going to listen to music? Would it be talking to someone? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's every day on its own, you know, and I think that's the thing with grief. You don't know how it's going to unfold. You can't, it's not a linear process. It's a bag of tricks. It's going to surprise you some days. Some people will just fall out of nowhere, never see it coming. But also to know that there's joy in grief too. I think that's another highlight that it doesn't always have to be sad or mad or it doesn't have to be happy, but there's also joy that like that death has like left you with something. Yeah, and I think uh, my favorite part about the grieving, not the grieving process, but just, yeah, I guess part of the grieving process, if you're referring to joy specifically, I mean, reflecting on memories, whether it's death or not, are just, they're great. Especially, you know, with my dad, hearing new stories is my favorite. And that kind mm. of, you know, that makes me sad the same part, not, you know, at the point where I've heard all the stories, but there's still, occasionally I talk to a family member, uncle, cousin, friend, that mentions a story I don't even remember. And that's almost like, reliving a new experience and th- those that's probably the most joy i get is when i hear a new story about my dad Ooh, for and, sure and re- and not too long ago, a few months back there's a new a photo that my one of my 
and my best friend from back east sent me. It was a photo I'd never seen of me and my dad. And like to me, that was like a new moment. Mm. And I thought, I thought those new moments were over, and as one would think. I thought the new moments of new experiences with my father were over. And of course, that wasn't a new experience, but I was so young that I remember the time, but don't remember that moment. But it was such a new feeling for me, thinking that was a new moment and that was joyous in a sense. For and, sure. And that's it was a very cool. micro point in time because, you know, it didn't last, but at the same time, it still lasts. That feeling of joy did come from a sad moment. So there is, like you said, there's plenty of joy to be found in a yeah. shitty situation. Yeah, it's it's a so treasure. Was, yeah, it's like finding a gem. It really is like finding a gem. It is. And I, and I look forward to that. That's why, I, you know, I, at this point, I really want to start reaching out to, it just came out to me now, but I want to start reaching out to more people that are close to my dad. Like my my Uncle Augie would be a great person to ask. Ooh, a great name. Yeah, it's great Uncle Augie. Yeah, he's the best too. <laughs> so I'm just playing, it's playing, in my head, like there's so many stories that I want to hear about my dad that, like, you know, of course he had to get in some mischief. I mentioned this in the last podcast, but he had to get into some mischief and some of that shit. Like, I'm old enough to know now. I want to mm-hmm. hear that stuff. Yeah. I want to hear stories I didn't know about my dad. Yes, to know your dad as a person, not as a dad. Exactly. As yeah, a brother, as a friend, as... A man. Yeah. Whatever. Totally, all of it. Yeah, and that's, that's the really stuff cool. that, I, you know, I missed out on because he died when I was 12, so I missed out on that becoming a man moment where we could share, share that. Mm. So right now the opportunity is to, you know, speak with my, you know my uncles and whatnot that, you know, grew up with them. But that long story short, that was just one example of the joy that yeah. you can get from it is is those memories and those conversations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's not all peaches and cream, but it's not all darkness either. So Yeah, there's really all, it's the duality of, of it all, you know. It, 100%. It, you have to hold them both. 100%. And both can exist, you know. Yeah, they do exist. Yeah, yeah. They do, I, you're right. They, but I, I hear what you're saying because it's it doesn't... If people forget the duality of life sometimes, and that comes with death. And there is, you know, the opposite side of the spectrum. Just especially when you're in it, you know, it, it seems like there's only one side, and you know, it's a deep hole that you're never going to get out. But that's not that's not the case. But it takes time, and I think the work that you're doing is important. I think it's important to, you know, educate people that haven't experienced death. And I'm impressed with the fact that it's it's a little it's a fine line because you haven't experience death on your own, mm-hmm. which I think usually, my thought at least innately would think that would trigger the path you're on, but you did experience a lot of death, whether it was personal or not, you were in the face of death, which is in itself uh, even a different experience, if not even, you know, the same level of difficulty <laughs> dealing with that much death over and over again. Like I had it with one person, multiple people died in my life, but that was like the closest with my father. But mm-hmm. the fact that you didn't lose someone personally and drove you down this path it's kind of a message that I'm trying to get with this podcast is hopefully people will be open to this conversation, whether they handled death in their life or not. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I will say the closer you get to it, the more you learn the intimacies of life, of how impactful it could be when you learn about somebody's relationship with someone and you learn about how much they mean to that person or the, the gems that they've handed off to that person and what we celebrate about each person who's about to pass. And when we celebrate those things, those are the gems. Those are the gems you're going to find through the Mm -hmm. stories. You're going to find out about your dad or even about yourself. Um, Definitely about People who witnessed you in relationship to your dad, who they were the space holders. They were the watchers. They were the witnesses of you and him. And that's pretty cool to kind of go digging. Yeah. Well, I love that. I respect what you're doing. And I think there's a lot of doors that 
you open that maybe I should start considering taking some courses and whatnot to just sharpen my tools. And I think it's just good knowledge to have, even though it's a space that I think a lot of people avoid. But I, I, almost, I almost said Matty Fell again, but Marifel, <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for being on here. That was a great conversation. I don't know if you have any last words or anything you want to poke out there. I think mention your Instagram again if you want to be found. If not, don't. Oh, yeah. Um, but any last words? No last words, but I'm here for it. You're holding uh, space. I'm holding space. I'm breathing breath into death. Mm. Uh, that's my Instagram handle, at breath to death. And I'm here for it. I'm here to talk about it. I'm here to about to preach about it, how to hold it, how to be all ooey gooey with it. <laughs> <laughs> ooey gooey. Okay, I like that. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for holding this space and conversation. I think that's great that you're you're sharing these conversations with different people. And I think that's just the beauty of how we we learn from each other. Amen. Keep it real. Keep it real, ooey gooey, and wholesome space. <laughs> but thank you again, seriously. That was great. Uh, I think there's uh, a lot to be taken with what you just said, and I appreciate you holding this space with me. Cool. All nice. right. Well, until next time, thank you guys for tuning in. Another episode of Dead Talks. Take care. Bye.